The New York Rangers and New Jersey Devils score big wins outdoors at the NHL Stadium Series. We will discuss both games and the event itself. Plus, the Vancouver Canucks remain near the top of the NHL standings, but what will it take for them to finish there? All that and more on today's Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome, everybody, to the Monday edition of the Locked On NHL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to thank everyone who makes Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get new episodes as soon as they drop. Today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKEDONNHL to get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. We just had one of the more exciting stadium series games in recent memory, and John Chick of Locked On New York Rangers is here to talk about that. John, your first reaction to that dramatic comeback and the overtime win for the Rangers. Well, Gus, or Gil, excuse me, I, I mentioned this to you just a second ago, but um, I, uh, I said to you that I think we're going to have to do a two-part episode here for, for Locked On New York Rangers, and I kind of stand by that because this was absolutely wild. Kind of, uh, as you mentioned before we, uh, before we hit record there, um, basically it was almost like three different games in one and my head's still kind of spinning. I mean, as we're recording this, it ended maybe like 15 minutes ago or whatever it was, but I mean, Artemi Panarin in the overtime strengthening, uh, his case for, you know, possible MVP consideration. You know, I don't know if he's going to win it, but I mean, his importance to this Ranger team cannot possibly uh, be understated. So just awesome stuff there. And, um, just absolutely wild. You know, I, it was not looking good for a long time in this game. Not sure the Rangers, Based on how they played for the the first, you know, the, the 60 minutes there, not sure they always deserve to win this one. But, I mean, they did rally from a three-goal hole. They were down by two goals with four minutes left or whatever it was. So, I think you got to take that. And I think even in an imperfect performance, you got to give them some props for uh, for coming back the way they did in this one. Your thoughts on Peter Laviolette's gamble to pull the goalie down by two goals on a power play with, what, about four, four and a half minutes left in the game. And it paid off. He pulled the goalie both times, scored yeah. both times on the uh, a power play. Yeah, you don't see that every day. There's times where I do think NHL coaches at times can be like a little too trigger happy when it comes to pulling the goalie. I don't like seeing, you know, my team, you know, say like they're down by a goal and there's like 230 to go. I don't want to see the goalie pulled because if you give up an empty net goal and there's like still 215 to go, it's like, man, we had all this time left to, to get the equalizer. But in the case of this game, you know, down by two goals and going up in the power play, um, I think it made sense, even though there were like five minutes left at that point or, or however much time was left, because um, you got to make it happen. If, if you're down by one goal, you can't do that. But down by two, obviously, you got to force the issue a little bit. Um, so that worked. And then uh, a little bit later, believe if I'm remembering this correctly, without looking at my notes, that they got back on the power play. And once again, pulled the goalie and it once again worked and, you know, kind of the same deal there. I mean, at that point, you've already scored a goal, the goalie pulled, maybe kind of go back to the well and try it again. And obviously by that point, time was starting to dwindle a little bit. So, yeah, um, obviously, you know, it worked out and um, it's just great to see the Rangers able to capitalize there. And the power play has really been struggling lately. And, um, you know, hopefully that 
you know, the, the subplot of this whole thing, this big comeback is that maybe um, they're, they're getting that unit back to where it needs to be as well. Cause they were like one for 22 before they put in a few today. Always helps to face the 32nd best penalty kill in the NHL, but yeah, yeah no. uh, hopefully from, from a Ranger standpoint, they can get some momentum from that. Y- your thoughts on the, the overall experience, the weekend in New Jersey, the way the NHL handled this game and, and, and just the pageantry of it all. Yeah, overall, I thought it was good. I mean, you know, the, these outdoor games are always a lot of fun. It just kind of breaks up the uh, the monotony, I guess you could say, of the 82-game season. I mean, I love hockey. I'll watch no matter what arena or what stadium they're in or indoors, outdoors, um, you know, h- however they want to play the game. But uh, it's always cool watching these games. And um, my only complaint, I think, is the uh, that camera that ESPN uses that, that kind of like sways back and forth and makes you feel like you're getting like like the kind of nauseousness you would get on a plane. I could do without that. But other than that, man, I, I thought everything was cool. You know, um, the post-game handshakes I thought were a nice touch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a special event every year, you know, and they do the, these handful of outdoor games. And um, Rangers now 5-0, and so I don't know. Maybe they need more uh, more outdoor games on the schedule going forward. We'll see how, the, how they do it. Before this game started, obviously, Blake Wheeler lost for the season, uh, probably, for the New York Rangers, although we don't have an official estimate of how long he's going to be out. But how does this affect the Rangers, and how do they respond to it, both personnel-wise and emotionally? Yeah, emotionally, I mean, you can tell. You know, Blake Wheeler obviously hasn't been there long, uh, just signed with them this offseason, but you know, Chris Kreider was, was like choked up tr- trying to talk about it and like kind of kept his answers short because I don't think he wanted to go into too much detail. Uh, Jacob Truba, him and Blake Wheeler closed from their days in Winnipeg. Uh, you know, Truba, it was tough on him, I think. Laviolette said the same thing. You can tell very uh, well-liked, very well-respected player in that locker room. And just unfortunate, man. It's just one of those things that can happen. It wasn't even like a vicious hit or a dirty hit or anything like that. But, you know, his skate just kind of got caught underneath him and bent the way that it's not supposed to. And next thing you know, it's a pretty gruesome injury and out for the year. Probably they, they've left the door ever so slightly cracked um, as far as maybe that he could return uh, a little bit later. Like if the Rangers make a deep postseason run, it's possible he could get back in there. Um, but, you know, whether that happens or not, obviously I think this means that uh, right wing, which I, I think is mostly been the Rangers biggest need all season. is just that much more. So it also means you know, there, there's been some chatter of maybe the Rangers could field offers for Capo Caco. I think now that you're down a right winger, a position where you're already thin, I don't think there's any way that they're going to even consider moving Capo Caco, especially with him uh, starting to play a little bit better recently as well. So, I mean, that's kind of where things stand. It was kind of a toss-up for me between center and right wing as far as the Rangers' biggest need at the deadline. But with Johnny Brodzinski kind of emerging a little bit as the third-line center, you combine that with uh, Blake Wheeler's not going to be available anymore. Yeah, to me that the scales have tipped toward back, uh, back toward right wing, and I'll, I'll be very surprised if the Rangers don't add uh, at least one right winger um, between now and the deadline. So you, you mentioned a right wing. How do you expect the Rangers to to handle this upcoming trade deadline? What are they willing to give up? What are they? How much cap room do they have? And who are some of the targets you expect them to go after? Yeah, they have a little bit more cap room now because obviously, you know, Philip Heedle dealing with the uh, recurring concussions and he's now on LTIR. And um, off the top of my head, I want to say his cap hit is around like 4.2 million. It's somewhere in that ballpark. So that makes it gives the Rangers a little bit more flexibility there as far as like players that 
they could look to acquire. I mean, you know, a name that I feel like it's happened in the past, but, you know, Jordan Eberle's name comes up every now and then. Um, that's a possibility. I think a guy that uh, Ranger fans would love to see is uh, Frank Vetrano. Although, you know, this time around, you know, they traded for him a couple of years ago. All they had to give up was a fourth round pick, and they're going to have to give up quite a bit more if they want him back. Um, you know, maybe a reunion with Vladimir Tarasenko could even make some sense. Um, but I, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, I mean, you hope that they do something, but, you know, who's this year's Frank Vetrano? You know, who's that guy that's on a team right now that, you know, maybe doesn't have a big role or maybe he doesn't fit the system or, or something just not quite clicking where, you know, Jury can go out and find that player and give away next to nothing to get him. And then he comes in and maybe isn't a superstar, but, um, you know, a steady contributing member of this team. That's kind of what I've been trying to figure out on my show. And I, I've done a couple of deep dives, but um, yeah, still kind of looking. And I'm sure uh, the Rangers themselves are still doing their due diligence and you know trying to find the right players to bring in uh, at the deadline. But yeah, I think it has to be a right winger for sure. You got to get at least one right winger. And, and who's expendable at this point? Or are they going to look more to give up draft picks and prospects? I think it would be draft picks. If you look at kind of Chris Drury's history, he seems to favor... Uh, trading away draft picks more so than prospects. Um, you know, the Rangers have some really good prospects, but I, I can't imagine for a second that they would trade Gabe Perot, who they just drafted and is just setting college hockey on fire right now. Uh, Brent Othman is a first round pick from a few years ago. He just puts up video game numbers at like every level that he plays at. He was actually up with the Rangers for three games earlier this season. Maybe he even becomes an option to be called back up. You know, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe like some mid-level prospects, or draft picks, you know, again, he he seems more willing to part with draft picks uh, than prospects. And I'm not even sure if the Ranger first round draft pick is available this year because there was that whole story, and I'm not sure if it's even true or not, but it was suggested that Dolan might not want to trade the first round pick because the draft is in the sphere next year, which he owns, and he wants the Rangers to be a part of that, which is the most ridiculous reason for <laughs> not doing something of like anything ever. But again, I don't know if that's true or not. Another reporter came out and refuted that claim. So um, we'll see, man. But I, I think if uh, if something significant is going to be on the move, the Rangers give something up, I think it'll be draft picks as opposed to prospects or certainly anybody on the current current roster. John, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find this podcast. It's on every audio platform that you can name, uh, wherever you're listening to this or watching this, you can find Locked on Rangers there as well. You can find me on Twitter at jchick17. And then you've got the uh, the Twitter handle of the podcast itself at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. So uh, yeah, definitely give me a follow. Say hi. You know, always love talking Ranger hockey. John, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Gil. Really appreciate it. Today's episode is brought to you by your friends at Camino Consulting. How would you like to get to know somebody better in an hour than you would in a year? Understanding one another better prevents small misunderstandings from becoming big ongoing fights. Well, after providing more than 20 years in mid-sized businesses, helping management groups navigate conflict and onboarding new employees, Camino is now offering a digital seminar for families and couples. Did your Valentine's gift of tickets to the game not go over as well as you hoped? Get the Couples and Family Online Seminar for 25% off for the month of February using the discount code LOCKEDON. Again, that is discount code LOCKEDON for 25% off for the rest of the month at www.caminoconsulting.ca or 
Mention Locked On when reaching out for a business seminar and receive the first five profiles free. Again, that's www.caminoconsulting.ca. Check it out today. It is always great to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On New Jersey Devils, Trey Matthews. And Trey, quite a weekend for the Devils. A big 6-3 win over the Philadelphia Flyers. What stood out most about this important win for the Devils on Saturday? Well, the thing is, is like Mark Cuban had this saying, which is people aren't going to really remember the game in general because it, 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 the Devils did come away with a 6-3 victory over the Flyers, but they're going to remember the experience. And I said it on my recent episode that this stadium series felt like a Super Bowl for the Devils because uh, they, they performed in 70, in front of 70,000 plus people. People were tailgating. You got uh, live performances from uh, Gaslight Anthem, the Jonas Brothers. The overall experience was just top notch for this type of feel. I spoke with Catherine Bogart, the team reporter for the Devils, about the matter. And she also gave her insight as to what fans could expect. So in the long run, this was a very successful uh, event for the Devils. And to add on to that, it was their reunion of sorts at the Meadowlands. Yes, they weren't playing in their same barn in which they won three Stanley Cups in, but they they were still in that same vicinity. And Martin Brodeur said like he just got so much nostalgia by just pulling up to the parking lot and just reminiscing over the good times where the team would do their championship parade, their celebrations. I know Matt Loughlin, the play-by-play announcer for the Devils radio feed, he was feeling some sort of way uh, of nostalgia. So just in general, this event was top-notch for the Devils. And what did it mean to New Jersey and that area to be hosting this game? It meant a lot because they're at their old stomping grounds, and this was probably one of their biggest games of the season. And they came out guns blazing thanks to Nico Heischer leading the way and scoring the opening goal 30 seconds in. And whether you're watching on TV, whether you were uh, there in person, I think everyone can attest and say that that was probably one of the best games of the season, a season in which has been very up and down for the Devils, very inconsistent, plagued with injuries. This was a good bright spot, and the Devils have now collected seven points in their last five games, and they also snapped the Flyers' five-game point streak. So it was just the cherry on top for what was at stake for the Devils, and they're starting to gain some traction in both the Metropolitan Division and the wild card standings. How important was it for this team to rise to the occasion and also to beat a division rival? You know, uh, I, I look back at to a tweet that Amanda Stein, the other team reporter for the Devils, said. Um, basically, Amanda broke the news and said that Gaslight Anthem would perform live after every Devils goal because their song Howl is, is uh, played after every Devils goal at the Prudential Center. And someone asked her, like, what if the Devils get shut out? Then what? And Amanda Stein responded by saying, not an option. And the Devils scored a touchdown on the Flyers, whereas the Flyers, they converted on a field goal. Injuries obviously have been a part of this season. You alluded to that. Give me some updates on some of the players who are still out, because obviously getting some of them back would be critical to the Devils down the stretch. So I think the biggest injury update was Jack Hughes returning to action. He's been playing in the last few games and he's currently on a four game point streak. He has five points during that four game stretch. And he, uh, in the previous matchup against the Flyers, 
he has now reached the 50-point mark in 38 games. So the big question for Jack Hughes early on in his career, what could his numbers be if he just stayed healthy? Because I think he'd be one of the finalists for the Hart Trophy if he if he didn't miss significant time. And then Brendan Smith, he returned to action a few games ago, albeit Santeri Hataka had to be sent back down to Utica. He was performing really well on the Devil's Blue Line, but we'll see him back in a devil sweater sooner rather than later. And for the bigger injuries, um, Jonas Stigenthaler is still out. Dougie Hamilton, Tom Fitzgerald told the media that he is still a ways away. We're hoping that he can come back uh, for the playoffs, but that's uh, that's down the road, and the Devils have to get to the playoffs for that to be a possibility. One thing that may help them get to the playoffs, the recent solid goaltending by Nico Dawes. Talk to me about what he's meant to this team recently and whether or not you feel he is the solution to the team's struggles and goal this year. There's a new king atop of the NHL history books for most saves in an outdoor matchup, and it belongs to Nico Dawes. He has played in his fourth game in the past uh, six, six days, and he has been really good in that for the Devils. And who would have thought that he would have been the answer? Because last year, he had hip surgery. He had to be shut down early in Utica, and now he has come back, and he's sort of the saving grace for the Devils, and you can't ignore that. So he's been making save after save after save and just being very vital for the Devils. And it now raises the debate, which is what do the Devils need? Do they need goaltending or they do they need defense? Well, I think Nico Dawes sort of fixes that issue, obviously, Who's going to back him up? Is it going to be Vitek Vanacek? Is it going to be Akira Schmidt? Right now, Vanacek is out with a lower body injury. He should be back sooner rather than later. But the thing is, like Nico Dawes, he's really helped the Devils in net, and maybe he could be the answer. But you don't want to put too much pressure on his shoulders because he did have hip surgery last year, and I don't want to. I don't want that kind of uh, scrutiny on him because the Devils have had a history of overworking their promising goalies and Corey Schneider, Mackenzie Blackwood, and that didn't really pan out too well. So Schneider, good start to his uh, Devils tenure, crashed and burned. Mackenzie Blackwood never reached his full potential because he dealt with injury. Now, I don't want the same fate to happen to Nico Dawes, so I just advise the Devils to be somewhat cautious when using him. But I can't deny he's been really good. And when looking at the trade market, I think it's going to come down to what's easier for Tom Fitzgerald to obtain. Is it going to be a goaltender? Is it going to be a defenseman? I spoke to Chico Resch about it, and you should be very familiar with uh, Mr. Resch because he uh, got you guys your first Stanley Cup back in, what, 1980? Um, so the thing is, is like um, he said, like, is it the goaltending is a defense? Chico told me it's mostly the defense, but how can you give Luke Hughes and Shimon the Mets five years plus experience. You can't because they have a lot of responsibilities on their shoulder and the devils have lost a lot of depth assets on the blue line, including Jonas Siegenthaler, including Dougie Hamilton. So it's been a bit of a struggle in that sort of regards, but I think they're going to try to trade for some more physicality, more grit and a depth asset, because I think the asking price for a goalie is going to be a little too much for them to handle. So I talked about UC Soros, talked about John Gibson, talked about Jacob Markstrom. But the thing is, the Devils will have to play uh, to the opponent's game because it's just like the ball is in their courts because the the goalie market is so spread thin. So it's just it's not going to be easy. What uh, do you think the Devils are willing to part with to bring in either that defenseman or that goalie? 
at this point, I think the only roster piece that might be dealt away and people might have mixed emotions about it is Alexander Holtz. Personally, I'm willing to part ways with him, but it has to be for the right price. I don't want it to be a one-year rental because Alexander Holtz is in his early 20s. He could give you 10-plus years of good service. He just hasn't been given the role that I think he deserves. I think he deserves more time on the ice. Um, and I just want to make something perfectly clear. Where you're at on the lines, it does not equal ice time. I think he deserves a few extra minutes and to showcase his skill set. I'm willing to part ways with them, but for the right price. And I think that's what Devils fans are willing to do as well. Um, and when it comes to prospects, I think people are very high on Lenny Haminaho and Seamus Casey. I don't think you should trade those prospects. So I think it comes down to like maybe Alexander Holtz or maybe a prospect that maybe won't be given a chance to showcase their skill set on the Devils roster. It's going to be a little tough, but uh, I think Tom Fitzgerald will try to work something out. And also, like it, where the Devils are at in the standings, if they completely just fall out the playoff race and Tyler Toffoli says he doesn't want to resign with the Devils, then that's a very valuable asset that the Devils have to move at the trade deadline because I'm sure Tyler Toffoli can get you some decent assets for for a, a, a team that is trying to contend for a Stanley Cup. No question about that. We'll keep an eye on that, and I know you'll be on top of it. Trey, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they can find the podcast and where they can find you on social media? You can find Locked on Devils wherever you get your podcast from, including YouTube, and you can follow me on X at Trey Matt 4 or the show's X page app at Locked on Devils. And um, uh, the, the season is not over. Devils still have a chance, and I think – what they've been doing the last few string of games has been give has been very hopeful for a lot of people. Seven points in the last five outings. All right, Trey, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Gil. Today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. We're past the halfway point in the season, hockey fans. But regardless of where your favorite team is in the current standings, I want to remind you, you could win big playing daily fantasy hockey on Sleeper the official daily fantasy app of the Locked On NHL Network. Sleeper is our number one choice for daily fantasy sports and especially daily fantasy hockey because with Sleeper, you can win 100 times your cash in daily fantasy hockey contests. All you have to do is pick whether studs like McDavid, Crosby, or McKinnon will record more or less than their Sleeper projections for things like goals, assists, saves, plus, minus, and more in a given game. To win a 100 times bet on Sleeper, you need to correctly predict the outcome of eight player stats. You heard me, hockey fans. You can win 100 times your money playing daily fantasy hockey with Sleeper. So use promo code LOCKEDONNHL. You'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. That's code LOCKEDONNHL. See Sleeper's terms of use for details and locational availability. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the co-host of Locked On Canucks. He's loose. He's ready. Trevor Beggs. And uh, Trevor, good time to be a Canucks fan. The gritty loss to Winnipeg notwithstanding. Talk to me about what has made this team so good this year that they're you know, still at or near the top of the NHL standings. You know what, Gil? They seem to be getting better. Um, and I think, you know, obviously a big reason for this turnaround is Rick Tockett, the structure he's implemented, but you know, even that bottom half of the lineup is really stepping up now, both in the forward group and on defense. I mean, I, I, I actually wonder if this is a story around the NHL, but the Canucks have, you know, 
I, I would say the best third line in the NHL without question, right? I've we did an episode kind of going through other great third lines, but you know what that line of Josh, uh, Dakota Joshua, Teddy Bluger, and Connor Garland has done. Uh, three misfits uh, coming together. They have they each have twenty even strength points in the last thirty one games, I believe it is. Like it's actually unreal uh, what that line is doing. Like those numbers rank up there. I think they're all in the top fifty among NHL skaters. So it's almost disrespectful to call them a third line. They've been unbelievable. They've been so, so much more than that. And then on defense as well, you look at guys like Noah Juleson. You know, people had pr- probably never heard of this guy, or they might have known him as the first-round pick from the Habs. You know, he ca- <clears throat> he came into Vancouver this season and looked terrible, but Adam Foote, the coaching staff, has worked with this guy. He was rewarded with his first goal of the season on Saturday against Winnipeg. Tyler Myers as well. The guy was an absolute disaster for four years in Vancouver. He looks respectable. And you look at the underlying numbers, and it's, you know, the Canucks, even sometimes when they're not scoring, are playing well defensively. And, you know, before, I think it was a bit of a pop gun offense. It still is to a certain extent, but uh, they're really cleaning things up on the defensive side of the puck as well. Now, uh, I'll say the one caveat, and they got caught this in Winnipeg, you know, as the games start to feel more playoff-like, you know, one of the reasons the Canucks lost the Winnipeg Jets over the weekend was, I think they got caught chasing the physical ga- the physical game against a team who plays physical. So, I think that was a good learning, uh, a learning lesson for the Canucks um, because, hey, there's going to be a lot of games that feel like the playoffs down the stretch here. How, how do you fix that? I mean, you talk about a learning experience, but what do the Canucks have to do differently the next time they're faced with a very physical opponent? Yeah, I think the Canucks have to, you know, toe the line between obviously being physical, uh, but not just chasing hits, right? I know I mentioned Noah Juleson and, I felt bad for the guy because after the Winnipeg loss, he was blaming himself for it. And, you know, he has a point on that game winning goal, right? He goes and chases the head. He absolutely belts Mark Shifley, but the Jets go in Kyle Connor and Gabe Velarde go in two on one and, and score a pretty easy goal. Right. Um, so I, I think the Canucks got to stick to their bread and butter. They got to be physical, but they also got to be a, a team that just continues to forecheck down low, continues to protect the middle of the ice. Um, so I think they just got to keep playing their game. Mind you, a big test will be starting to play some good teams down the stretch, right? You know, the Canucks, that was their first game against Winnipeg. They still play the Winnipeg Jets two more times. They play Colorado two more times, I believe. They play the Golden Knights three more times. The Oilers once. Uh, the rematch against Boston, who spanked them about a week ago, is coming up next Saturday, uh, or this upcoming Saturday, I should say. Um, so, yeah, there's some really good tests coming down the stretch. I, I talked about a couple weeks ago, the Canucks had... Uh, the hardest schedule in the Western Conference remaining in the NHL about a week ago. I don't think much has changed there. So um, they're going to get some stiff tests down the stretch. I think that's going to make them ready for the playoffs or at least going to you know test to see if they are ready for the playoffs. What's your biggest concern about this team as we head into the last couple of months of the season? You know, one of the biggest concerns right now is is the top six, ironically enough, right? Which to me isn't as big as a concern as everyone's making it out to be, but you know, in fairness, you look at the Jets game on Saturday. It's the Jets' top player scoring and the Canucks stars being shut out. Um, you know, there's been a lot of nights recently where that bottom six, as I mentioned, has been the one that stepped up, whereas that top six has gone kind of quiet. So I think it's a matter of kind of finding that chemistry in the top six. You know, Patterson's had a, re- a revolving door of line mates all season long. Um, I do like the the trio up there with Lindholm and Hooklander. They had a really good game against the Detroit Red Wings last week on Thursday. Um, but I think the Canucks, you know, every good team goes through a bit of a slow stretch and the Canucks again, knock on wood, haven't really gone through theirs yet. Right. The Jets have had a slow stretch. The Avs have had a slow stretch. The Knights have had a slow stretch. So, um, 
I think for the Canucks, probably the biggest thing that concerns me is I, I still don't necessarily believe that this defense is for real. If I'm being honest with you, um, you know, I really like what Hughes and Hronica brought, but the rest of the defense has definitely played above the sum of their parts. Are they going to be able to keep that up down the stretch? I certainly hope so. Um, certainly, you, you know, when you watch the Canucks play, the eye test is telling you that, yeah, this defense is better. And again, guys like Julson and Myers are stepping up, but you know, there's been a lot of scar tissue in this market. We've seen a lot of Tyler Myers mistakes. Nikita Zadorov is coming in. He's been fun, but he's made mistakes too. I just wonder, you know, against the best teams like the Jets, the Avs, the Knights, is this Canucks defense going to hold up in the playoffs? I still think that's a pretty legitimate question. So if you're the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, what do you look to do with the trade deadline? And do you think the team will do a similar thing that you think they should do? Two words, Chris Tanev. No, I'm just kidding, but I'm not, I'm, I'm only half kidding. I mean, Honestly, I still think another right shot defenseman would be a, a prudent ad for this organization. I know they've liked, you know, Myers and his resurgence and Juleson's played well. Um, and then you have Hronik as your number one right shot D. Um, but I would probably add another defenseman to the mix. Um, it depends what the cost is going to be. The thing right now with the Canucks is, you know, I think one of the reasons they're rumored to be after Phil Kessel is because they just don't have much cap space left, right? Like pretty much every other team around the NHL. Um so if you're going to make a sizable ad, you're either going to need the team to, you know, retain a lot of cap space, which, you know, results in giving up more assets, or you're going to have to move someone out. Uh, and that's why on the show we, this week, we talked about the potential of moving out Ilya Mikheyev, um, who's kind of filled in for jo Dakota Joshua, who's missed the last games with injury. And part of the argument was, again, you got to subtract from this team in order to, if, if you do want to make a big ad, like a top four defenseman or another top six winger, you know, it, it still feels that the Canucks could use another top six winger. Um, you know, Hoaglander's been on the fourth line all year, has deserved better, is now on the top line. Uh, but then you have Pew Suter, who's played well, but he's your second line left winger alongside Miller and Besser. It still feels like you could use another top six winger and another top four defenseman. Um, I think they're only going to get one of those pieces, maybe, or it might just be depth ads. But, you know, we've seen how aggressive that Rutherford and Alvin have been, you know, not just with the Canucks, but throughout their history together, in particular Rutherford. So another big move wouldn't necessarily shock me. But, you know, if you go chase a... A Jake Gensel per se, like you're giving up the Lakaramakia, like the top prospect in this organization. So, no, no, no easy answers there. Um, I, I would lean towards adding a defenseman uh, personally. Uh, will they do it? I'm not quite sure. I'm going to call it a coin flip. Okay. Well, should be interesting to say the least. And what in your mind is the key to a strong finish for this team? Yeah, I think. They, they got to show up against the best teams, right? And, you know, to the Canucks' credit, they've done a good job. And there's a stat out there this week that they have the third best record against winning teams. So it's not like they've been pushed over by winning teams. I mean, they've, you know, they beat the Carolina Hurricanes twice. They beat the Panthers twice. They obviously smoked the Oilers three times, although that was a different version of the Oilers uh, than the one yeah. that's playing right now. But, you know, they got a lot of tough games uh, coming up down the stretch. Um and I think it's just a matter of, you know, not just showing up and playing hard in those games like they did against Winnipeg, but winning those games, right? Giving this team the confidence that they can go into the playoffs knowing that they can beat any team in the NHL, which they should have that confidence now. But, you know, you go lose a bunch of games to Colorado and Vegas, that might, it might feel a little differently come playoff time. So I think it's showing up and beating um, a number of good opponents up on their schedule would be, would be the number one thing for this team. All right, Trevor, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you and your co-host on social media? All right, you can find me on social media at Trev Beggs. Uh, my co-host, Cal Bowen, B-H-A-W-A-N. You can find him on uh, Instagram and TikTok, I believe. 
Uh, and of course, you can find our podcast Locked on Canucks on YouTube, uh, on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, been a fun ride. We joined March 1st of last year. Uh, we're up to about 1,500 subscribers now from a couple hundred when we started. It's been a ton of fun, and it certainly helps that the teams win in some hockey games and is the best team in the NHL. Let's go. Never hurts, right? <laughs> All right, Trevor. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Go. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. And now it's also available on Amazon Fire TV in the free Fire TV channels app. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Find Locked On Sports Today, now available on the free Fire TV channels app. I want to thank my guests. John Chick of Locked On New York Rangers, Trey Matthews of Locked On New Jersey Devils, and Trevor Beggs of Locked On Canucks for joining me today. I am Gil Martin. I host the Monday edition of Locked On NHL, and I co-host the Friday edition along with Rachel Donner. I want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Don't forget, we are here every day, Monday through Friday, bringing you the biggest stories from around the National Hockey League. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening to and watching the Locked On NHL podcast.